This morning, I'd like us to turn in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> book of Hebrews. <clears throat> and, um, you know, Hebrews is, a, is an interesting book. Uh, this is obviously uh, a, a book that was written to some Jewish believers. Um, they very clearly, I mean, obviously by the title, we know it's for, you know, Hebrew individuals. There's a lot of things that are in here that, that, that discuss, uh, things of, uh, the law, things of Moses, uh, things that they would go through, things that they would do. Um, and it talks about how Christ is obviously better than all of those. And you find that as the theme that is here. And in the very first uh, chapter, in, in chapter 1, it starts off talking about how God has used people, how God uses individuals to communicate uh, essentially uh, his plan for this, for this planet, uh, for his plan for people. And he talks about very specifically about Jesus Christ in, in, in this, uh, this passage, talking again about who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do and what he's currently doing, uh, for us as believers. But I kind of want to take a look here in, in, in verses, um, uh, eight through nine. And it says here, but unto the son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is in the scepter, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So in Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 8 and 9, it's talking about Christ, talking about his ministry here on earth and what he did. And one of the important things that we see about this is that here he is demonstrating his heart, what Christ focused on. Christ loved righteousness and hated the iniquity. But that, 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 that thought is still prevalent today. That has always been the thought of God. That has always been his intent. God loves the things of righteousness and hates iniquity. He doesn't want anybody to do it. He doesn't want anybody to be involved in it. He wants people to do what is right. He doesn't want people to engage in, in sinful activity, in transgressions, in, in, in behavior that is not becoming a Christian or a believer. And, and, and it becomes very evident here as we think about what he's talking about, what, what, what God's talking about. He begins to introduce this as part of the theme into the next chapter. In chapter 2, he says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just reward or just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing witness with both signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So here we find he begins to engage these believers into the behavior that they're conducting themselves. And he brings up a very important subject matter. The title of this message is very simple, Neglect in a Believer's Life. Neglect in a Believer's Life. 
Before we get started too much here, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity to be uh, here, Lord, to be among believers, to receive comfort, peace, and hope from you. And Lord, I pray that as we engage in the the uh, meditation and the study of your word this morning, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would be very receptive, that the ground of our heart would be ready to receive that seed, that, Lord, we would desire to have those things uh, um, manifest in our life that please you, that bring gladness, that, Lord, we would understand that concept. And, Lord, we would seek to be very diligent in our life and not neglectful. Lord, I pray you'd be with me in my voice this morning, that, Lord, all of this would please you, honor you, and glorify your name. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. In this passage, we see he talks about two great things. He talks about, number one, um, being diligent with what we hear and being neglectful with what we hear. Now, the, the the terms diligence and negligence are obviously two things that are contrary one to another. Uh, it's very hard to be diligently negligent. <laughs> that's, a, that's kind of an oxymoron. You would have to really try at it. But negligence is, is if you will, that 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 uh, the, the root word obviously being neglect is somebody that just does not care. There is, there is a lack of effort that is put into it. There's a lack of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, um, you know, day-to-day maintenance, day-to-day care, things of that nature. You know, every now and then I like to watch a couple of those, uh, those little episodes or videos about these cars that have been neglected. You know, these barn finds, and sometimes they're not barn finds, sometimes they're just stuffed in a person's garage, and and they've been there for so long, but things have happened in their life that they have just, you know, that wasn't a priority. And I would dare say that 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 sometimes kind of mirrors some things with Christian lives. When we neglect certain things, that God is not the priority. But he, you know, you think about those the, those cars, and they'll pull out these beautiful, these once beautiful cars, and 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 you'll realize that there, there there's major problems. There's rust and decay. Uh, the, the tires, uh, the rubber uh, gaskets, the the hoses, the seals, the actual, uh, if you will, some of the cases are so bad that the foam in the seats has rotted and just turned into powder and dust. Things inside, the wiring has been chewed by rats and has to be gone through and completely redone. There's problems with the engine that has sat so long that it is now seized and is no longer uh, capable of being turned over. And, and there's so many problems with that. When they pull it out, it just looks like a heap of junk that would probably be best taken to a scrapyard. But in many circumstances, people will diligently put in effort to restore it and bring it back to its shape, back to running order, back to its original condition. But many times I look at those and I cannot help but think about this passage where people have neglected their Christian life. They've neglected what they've heard. And we see here very clearly, as it points out in, in chapter one, verse eight and nine, that this is Jesus Christ who has, who desires 
that we would be righteous in our, in our daily life, that we would be righteous in our actions, be righteous in our deeds, be righteous in our thought processes, be righteous about what affects us on a day-to-day basis, and making sure that we are avoiding, and if you will, hating those things that are iniquitous, things that can cause us problems, things that will drag us down. And I will tell you this, if we do not focus on the things of righteousness that we have heard from Scripture, and we neglect that, we will automatically gravitate to those things that are hated by God, the iniquity, and that causes the decay, the rot, the rust, the degradation in our spiritual life, in our Christian life. And look, it just doesn't happen overnight. Neglect is something that happens over a period of time. A person can become neglectful in the way that they behave. One of the ways that that happens is through complacency. They just get used to everything. Look, you know, I I understand that, 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 you know, making a habit out of, let's say, coming to church on Sunday is a good thing. But it shouldn't be an automatic habit. Meaning that you just kind of get up in a robot mode, you, you get ready, you get your coffee, you get in the car, and you drive on autopilot here, and you sit down, and you listen, and then you get up, you shake a few hands and say hi, get in the car, drive home, wait for 6 o'clock, to start rolling around, hurry to church, get there, sit down. It shouldn't be that. That's neglect. You're not diligent. And God says we hear very clearly that he says that we ought to give a more earnest heed. Let's take a look at these verses here in chapter 2. And this is, if you will, the consequential thought of of what we just read over there in verses 8 and 9, that we as believers are now being cautioned about being neglectful of righteousness that allows the, 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 the corruptness And if you will, the destruction of sin to creep into our life. In verse 1 here, he says, therefore we. And I like this. You know, here he is, we. He's talking about believers. The author that is is penning this down, that is writing this, is, is including himself in this. He didn't say, therefore you. He said, we. Why? Because he understands that he has the same issues as them. So whoever is penning this at this point in time, he's saying we ought to give. And he's including themselves. And this is we as in those that have confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Those that have trusted fully in him. Those that are not trusting in their own righteousness. Those that are not trusting in in their own works to get them to heaven. Those that are not trusting in someone else. Jesus Christ makes it clear. There's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. Allah can't do it. Buddha can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. It's him and him alone. Bible says in Romans 10, 13, Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I like that because it's a shall. It's not a maybe. It's not a, well, I don't know if you really qualify. 
No, it is a shall. It is a promise. It is given there in Scripture. And God is not a man that he should lie, so we know that that is true and that he will abide by that. We call unto him for salvation, as it says, he is willing to give that to us. He wants to. But as we look at this, he's talking about a we, and he's saying these are Christians. These are believers that have come. These are ones that are professing Christ. And you know what? We should behave accordingly. And here he says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Now, now, this is interesting. He says, give a more earnest heed. Have you ever done a job that you're just kind of like, you really don't want to do, but you do it anyways, because you have to. And you just kind of engage in that behavior. And maybe it's mildly enjoyable, but you're just, I mean, your heart really isn't in it. That's not the Christian life. If that is your Christian life, then I dare say you've already got some neglect and some, if you will, rust and rot that needs to be purged, that has to be cut out. You ever see them get into there and when they start getting into that rust and what they have to do to it? I mean, they get in there and they cut it out, don't they? They cut it out and they re, they, they put in a new piece of metal, a new piece of steel, weld it in there and make sure that it's, it's going to be secure and make sure that it's, it's formed to the correct shape, make sure that it is solid, it is structural, it'll hold the car, all of these things. And and I'm using this car this morning, if you will, picturing it in your mind, that sometimes people just think, well, it's just a little bit of body rust until you open the thing up and you realize that the frame is rotted. You open it up and you put a screwdriver right through the frame that is the main structural support of the car. And you realize, oh, that's a death trap. The first time you drive down I-5, right there around the 205 interchange, the thing falls apart. You all know what I'm talking about. There's something wrong with that road. Why they won't fix it, I have no idea. I drive through there and I see these trucks, and it's a nice clear day, and you see a little bit of water that's there, and you get this big semi-truck and it drives by, and all of a sudden this huge splash of water comes out, but there's no water on the roadway. The water's underneath, and it compressed the concrete and squirted it out. Something wrong with that road. But I'm saying is, is you get into a car that has got rust problems in the frame, you're going to feel it because that car is going to start falling apart. And this is where we as Christians have to begin to, to really put some earnest heed into what we do. And here, you know, there's we, we look at this and we go, as a believer, and we say, well, yeah, I'm trying to put in some earnest heat here. I'm trying to make sure I'm doing right. And, and I want you to see what is penned here, what God is telling us to do here. He says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. Well, I'm already given earnest heed. Give more. Well, well, isn't what I'm doing? That should be sufficient. God says, no, I want to see more. I want you to give more earnest heed to it. 
Not just heed, as in you're willing to listen and obey. I want you to give an earnest heed, meaning that it is truly affecting you. You are, if you will, investing into it because you want to do it. And then he says, I want you to invest more into it than you already are. I want you to take any treasure and any gift that has been given to you, and I want you to devote that to giving heed to the Word of God. Christian, I'm here to tell you today that if you start doing something like that, you will start seeing exactly that same gladness that he's talking about in chapter 1, verse 9. Now again, I understand things happen in our life, sorrow occurs, and I get that. But here we're talking specifically about something that pleases God, that pleases Him. You know, when we talk about giving this more earnest healing, we're talking about giving a great deal of attention. You know, the Christian life isn't just going to happen to you. If you're waiting for the Christian life to just somehow spontaneously fall upon you in, in, in some way, like, you know, the Holy Ghost falling upon you and you're just like sitting there waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and then all of a sudden you're expecting it to just go like, oh, that's not going to happen. <clears throat> Look, I'm 48 years old. I know that's a young pup to many. But I will tell you this, since I've trusted Christ as my Savior, I have yet to see it fall upon me in a few decades. You know what I see? I have to put in heed. I have to give earnest heed. And then I have to give more earnest heed. Why? Because the continual attacks, the continual things, and I don't want to be neglectful, I have to give this Christian life the utmost attention to do what God asks me to do. I don't do that. I, I'm neglecting it. I'm neglecting it. My mom, she, to go back to the car analogy, my mom, she had this car. It was one of the first new cars that she, that she had ever had. And she bought in, in 1980 a, a Pontiac Sunbird. <clears throat> How many of you remember? It was a two door Pontiac Sunbird. Manual transmission. AM radio, vinyl seats, yeah, no AC. <laughs> that thing in the summertime, whoo. She used it as a, uh, to carpool us kids back and forth uh, to, to school with some other kids. I remember one time there was this poor child that was in there. Turns over, he's sitting in the passenger seat in the front. Me and my brother are sitting in the back. And this kid turns and looks at my mom and says, I don't feel so good. And she looks at him just at the time he decided to relieve the pressure. It was all over the dash. It was all over the console. It was all over my mom. Because he turned like this and he said, I don't feel so good. (laughs) So needless to say, without air conditioning in the summertime, there was a little bit of aroma. (laughs) My mom kept this car. And she got rid of it uh, uh, only a few years ago. That car was 1980 and only had, I think, maybe, maybe 40,000 miles on it. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what happened? She got a Volvo, and she was driving her Volvo. 
She's driving the Volvo around, and my dad's driving his Volvo. So guess what happened to that little car? It got neglected. And it sat there in the Pacific Northwest and does what happens with cars in the Pacific Northwest. It begins to spontaneously grow life. (laughs) Inside and out. I remember they opened up that car door and I looked inside and I'm like, I thought the seats used to be red. Why are they white? (laughs) Yeah. And you're just like, oh. All the hoses were rotting, the belts were rotting, the trim was falling off, the tires are starting to go flat. You can see that the tires were starting to dry rot. And it just, the car never moved. So when they moved the car, it was like there was like this little forest underneath it of moss and, and whatever else was growing. And you look at that and you go, wow. No, look, you know, they they just thought maybe one day that they were, you know, going to do something with it. Or I, I don't know what the thought was I mean, to mom. It was a little bit sentimental to her. She loved that little car. But you know what? It was neglected. It was neglected. It was never used. There was no attention given to it. My dad would occasionally go out there when he's watering his plants. He'd turn the hose on it. <laughs> I just fed what was growing on there more. <laughs> it just grew with more, you know, it just, there was, there was moss inside the car as well as outside because all the seals, the window seals, everything was just failing. There was no attention given. Now, if you look at this verse here and he says that in verse one, therefore we ought to give uh, the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. When we sit down in church services and we sit down in it for maybe a year, let's say you get uh, about 52 messages on a Sunday. Let's just factor that there's no time that anybody ever gets sick. And we know that that is not a possibility in this church. <clears throat> Some point in time, somebody gets sick. But here you are, let's say you, 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 52 times, you just come and you listen to a church service on Sunday morning. There's 52 times. Let's say you come to Sunday school. Well, now you got 104. Let's say you come to Sunday evening. I'm not going to do the math because we already found out this morning that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, let's say you come to midweek services. Let's say you're one of those one of those sermon junkies and you're constantly listening to sermons and you're constantly watching sermons. Let's say you watch a sermon every single day of your life. And let's just for a very, very loose, loose number, let's say maximum in a year, you 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 hear about six hundred messages from the Word of God. 600 messages. And that doesn't count what you hear when you read the Word of God. When the, when the Holy Spirit shows you things, encourages you, comforts you, gives you hope, convicts you where necessary, uh, rebukes you, reproves you, corrects you. Because that's what the Word of God does. Let's say all of that sits there and you, you, you've got maybe a thousand times a year through all of the things that have happened, including interactions where people are talking about scripture and talking about Bible verses a thousand times a year, you are hearing the word of God. 
a thousand times. How much heed do we give to what we heard? Why is it that you can have a Christian that still sits there in the service and still decides, I'm going to do what I want to do anyways? They're not giving attention. They're not, they're, they're not paying attention. They're not listening to the consequences of this. And here he says in this passage, he says we need to give more earnest heed. Why? Because this is what happens when we don't give more earnest heed. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. You ever slip and fall? I'm not looking at you, Abby. (laughs) Are, Are you one of those people that just gets a little clumsy from time to time? You fall down. My wife is, 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 is kind of, you know, she's, she, she's on probation for stepping on step stools. She has a tendency to step on step stools and then fall off. And it's like, so, so, so the step stools kind of get put away and it's more, honey, would you grab me that? Because I love my wife, I don't want her to necessarily fall. You grab it, right? But usually it's kind of like, I got you a step stool for a reason. Use it. <laughs> And then I sit there and think to myself, is that always a wise thing? She doesn't want me getting on a ladder. We've got, we've got a uh, chandelier that is in our, uh, in our, um, <clears throat> stairwell. And it takes a ladder to get up there and change it. And I went up there to go change the light bulbs because when you're down, uh, there's only one out of four that is currently functioning. So it's a little dangerous on our stairway. <clears throat> and I got up there to, to get one of the light bulbs down. And as I'm trying to get one of the light bulbs, guess what happens? course of time, whenever you deal with a light bulb, what happens? You'll start turning one and you'll realize that you're not actually turning the base. You're just turning it in. And then pretty soon it's kind of like hanging out. And you're like, oh man. And you realize you got to go get a pair of pliers. Hopefully while the power is not on <laughs> to get that out of there. And, and, and I hate that chandelier anyways. It's, it's one of the ugliest chandeliers I've ever seen in my life. But it's there. I didn't put it in. Praise God. Uh, so, you know, there's this conversation of, well, we need to get a new one and so on and so forth. I got to get up there and do that. Got to get a ladder. Ah, one of the last times I was on a ladder, I actually got trapped up there. It was not a good thing. I had to have Abby use this little, you know, you know, to dial 911 and put it on speakerphone. And this is back in the old house. And you're sitting there going, you had a one story house. I did you trust me? I did it. I did it. I did it. Here comes the firemen and they're looking at me like, seriously, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm stuck. You don't understand. Physically stuck. My arms were pinned. I couldn't, it was, it was, it was horrible. And everybody just look at, you just look at the situation and, and all I needed was somebody to just stand and brace the ladder and give it a little push so I could actually get free. And, and, and eventually that happened and occurred, but you know, she doesn't want me going up on ladders. And I just sit there and I think about it. And I, we, we, we do everything in our power to avoid slipping. And we do it anyways, right? But here he is and says in the Word of God, we let those things that we have heard slip from our mind. And worse, we let them slip from our heart. And they slip away. 
And here we are, and just taking that example a thousand times in a year, just as a rough number, we hear these things and we just let them slip. One year and slips right out the other. And God says, this isn't what we're supposed to do. If we want to love righteousness and hate iniquity so that we can have this gladness that is talked about that our Savior had, that we can enjoy that fellowship with God, the fellowship with believers more, we've got to give some sort of effort into this and more effort than we're currently giving. If I was asked the question, have we given enough to the effort to not let these things slip from our personal life? Have we given enough effort in our Christian walk to say, I am not going to let anything that I learn slip away? Again, I will tell you, 48 years old, things slip. Sometimes the mind becomes a sieve, and it just, right out. But God says, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to engage in. We cannot let them slip. We cannot be clumsy with this. We can't be inattentive. We, 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 we can't be unaware and careless in our Christian life. The things that we have heard, the doctrines, the principles, the truths, those are things that we cannot forget. We should not let them slip. We should give so much earnest heed to it that we are wanting to retain it. And as the psalmist says in Psalm 119, how many times did he say he would keep the word of God? He would keep it. And I'll tell you this, the more you give, the less you'll slip. The more you give, the less you'll slip. The more attention you pay, the less you'll slip. I mean, isn't that one thing that's important? Here you are, you're in a workplace. What do you need to make sure you do? You need to make sure you don't trip. Slip, trips, and falls. Major thing of OSHA, right? And, 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 and you see those things. So what are you doing? You make sure you see something on the ground. When I worked retail, I was, I, man, it was like beat into you. You see a piece of paper on the floor, you bend down, pick it up. You're walking on your, your, to, to break. Or you come in and you're checking in, getting ready to clock in, and you see a piece of plastic on the floor, you bend down and pick it up. Why? Because a customer could step on it and slip and hurt themselves. Now you think, well, that's because the money doesn't, you know, the the, the company doesn't want to lose money on it. I'm sorry, but you don't want a customer to slip in in, in your store and hurt themselves if you care about your customer. That's a customer service thing. Not only does it make the store look nice and clean, you ever go to a Dollar Tree? <laughs> Most of the product is on the floor. <laughs> if you if you can't find it on the shelf, just start looking down on the floor. It's gonna be there. When I go to Dollar Tree, I'm on high alert. Why is that? Because I don't want to slip and hurt myself. I've already done that enough. But what we find here is that we find that the more pay, the more we pay attention, the more earnestness and, and, if you will, investment into it, the less we have that opportunity. This is why God's writing to us. 
And he says here, as he continue on in verse 2, he says, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, this is, this is, this is an important verse, while it's kind of, if you will, one of those bridging verses between the thoughts. He says here very clearly that what the angels said and the things that were spoken of them were truth. They were steadfast. They were firm. And you know what part of that firmness is? God will judge sin. Isn't that what he just said? Every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. You know, when we let things slip, we think that we can slip it past God. Notice that word. Every. That's not partial. That's not a few. And look, we we, we dare not say, well, praise God, I'm saved. It's all under the blood. Well, praise God, it is under the blood. But should you continue in sin, according to Romans? God forbid. Why in the world would he write so many things about fleeing youthful lusts, fleeing fornication, fleeing idolatry, fleeing all these things? And and we read some this morning talking about Christian warfare. Why in the world would he give all of these things if God doesn't care? God cares about whether you sin after you've trusted Christ as your Savior. He truly does. Do not believe the lie that the devil will tell you that he doesn't. Because he just said here, every transgression and every disobedient act. He says, what's going to happen? A just recompense of reward. I like how he phrased it. He kind of made it sound not that bad. But when you think about it, it's horrifying. Justice. You get what you deserve. You continue in sin, God will execute justice. I mean, the one that was over there in in, in 1 Corinthians that was unwilling to give up the immorality that he was committing, uh, you know, there was talk of, let's just turn him over to the destruction of the flesh. Let him destroy himself. Let that be the end of it. You know how far gone you have to be that if somebody like Paul, who understands forgiveness, probably, I I don't want to say more than the rest of us, but you just think about what Paul did, and he's willing to say, you know what, at some point in time, there's just some people, you need to just let them go and do their own thing and find out that God will judge it. Don't be that way. If you have to learn the lesson the hard way, you've got a problem with your heart. You need to learn the lesson from heeding what you heard, not experiencing it. Experience never trumps the Word of God. Experience never trumps the Word of God. And here he is saying, look, these are, there's consequences of sin. This is a truth. This is one we should never let slip, uh, that, that sin is going to have an impact in our lives. 
And we all know that sin has an impact. Sin has an impact on other people in our lives. Sin is just doesn't affect just us. I mean, I want you to think about it. Think about the the, the impact that, that sin had and what God had to do for just judgment. The flood. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Those are rough things. How about Jezebel? You ever read what ever became a Jezebel? Ugh. It involves some really nasty stuff. How about the nation of Israel? The judgment they had to go through. I mean, we sit there and we think about all of this. There comes a point in time where God, God will correct. And just take a look at Jonah. Jonah was a man of God. You decided, not this time. And God said, well, guess what? You get to be a, a, a marine biologist for three days. <laughs> you get to learn about all sorts of aquatic creatures. Everything it swallows, you'll get up close and personal with it. Smell it, look at it, taste it, feel it. Mmm, yum. I'm sure he probably never wanted to get on a boat ever again after that. I wouldn't. But here he is and he says, this is, this is, this is every sin. This isn't just a few. This is every sin. This is why we need to ensure that sin is not in our life. This is why we need to give this more earnest heed. Because the end result that we see as we go through here in verse three, he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first was spoken, uh, uh, spoken uh, um, by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And here he is, he's talking about, here's the issue. Neglecting salvation. Now, I dare say that, that, that most of us here today, if I was to ask, if you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would get an affirmative amen from everybody. For most everybody. Okay? That being said, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're not going to forget that. You're going to want to remember that. Why? You kind of want eternal life and forgiveness of sins. You put on that helmet of salvation so that your mind thinks about it constantly. You protect your thought processes by constantly remembering, I'm a saved child of God. I'm not doing it today. I remember Danny Fox came in here and he had one of those t-shirts on. It said, not today, Satan. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, really, that needs to be a men- <laughs> mentality of our life. But I, I, I will say today, you know... It, <clears throat> We really kind of need to kind of cross out that Satan because most of the time it's us and it should say, not today, Ken. <laughs> and we need to wear it in the mirror and look at it and look at it and go, not today. So when we look at this, what happens is we neglect that. Your, 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 your Christian life is based off of and started with the fact that you are following the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Meaning that you are coming to him and you are saying, I want salvation from him. 
That's where it starts. You become a believer. Now, to be a Christian, you actually have to act Christ-like. Christ didn't continue in sin. As a matter of fact, Christ loved righteousness and hated iniquity. That is being a Christian. That's being a Christian. Anything else other than that isn't a Christian. Again, you can be a believer, but some people just don't act like Christians. And can I, I mean, we can all say amen to that. We can take a look around and more than likely we can sit down and we look in the mirror and we go, yeah, amen to that. But what we begin to realize is that here he is, he's saying, look, you know, what kind of mentality would we have to think that we would escape some of the judgments of what and consequences of sin? You realize that this is, if you will, a bit of a parallel passage to what is found over there in Galatians chapter 6, where he says, be not deceived, God is not to mock, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If we hold true to those principles and we hold true to what God's telling us, then we are going to move past those th- those sinful actions and we are going to really truly, if you will, give an earnest heed to the salvation that we have in Christ. To sit down and say, hey, I'm a believer. Hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna consider this or slight it or disregard it in any way. The devil will try to get you to do that. The world will try to get you to do that. Your flesh will often try to get you to do that. But I, I, I I look at this and and I see how he how he phrases it, and how he phrases it there in verse three. He says, "How shall we escape?" If we neglect so great salvation. I want you to think about that. Great salvation. I don't think any of us in here would compare ourselves as far as our sin to say, well, I'm as bad as Adolf Hitler. Or uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Osama bin Laden. Timothy McVeigh. Charles Manson. Some of you, if you don't know who those people are, let's just put it this way. Evil. Evil. They sought to take the lives of others. And they were successful at it. And we often think, well, I'm not as bad as them. Okay, look, let's be careful about comparing, right? But you know what we, we, we need to really pay attention to? If, totally fictitious. Let's say at the very end of World War II, there's Adolf Hitler. He gets captured by some GI and that GI is looking at him, and he's now got a whole Adolf Hitler prisoner. And that GI starts talking to him about Jesus Christ. And he witnesses to Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler listens, and he realizes what a complete jerk, to put it mildly, he has been. And the millions of deaths that are at his hand. 
And he says, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And he trusts Christ as a Savior. You're like, would God forgive that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'd say, man, that would be great. Wouldn't it be great if, if, if our President of the United States, somebody was able to sat, sit down with him and have a cognitive discussion about salvation? Some of you got that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Forgive me. But let's say we had a conversation with him about that. And he was able to trust Christ as his Lord and Savior. He's not saved. And it's not just because of his actions. It's because of what he believes. It's because of what he believes. He's not trusting Christ as his Savior. And you look at that and you'd go, man, that would be a great salvation. You realize that your salvation is just as great. Your sin is just as bad. Your sin is just as disgusting. Your sin is just as putrefied and rotted as anyone else's. And God said, I want to save that man. I want to save that woman. And he put somebody in your life to come and to tell you about Jesus Christ, our Savior. And whether you got saved later on in life, whether you got saved at your mother's knee, whatever it is, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you want to understand that is a great salvation. Let me ask you this. Was it a great salvation when the nation of Israel was saved from the Egyptians crossing the Red Sea? It was definitely a great work of God. But you know what's even greater? What Jesus Christ did on the cross for them. You know what's even greater? When he rose from the dead and conquered sin and conquered death. You know how great that is? Well, I'm not disparaging the work of God over there because of the typology that is there. But the actuality of God giving salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, is is the greatest salvation that could ever be have. You, you, I mean, you, you, you can't even begin to fathom how great it is. You know, there you are, you watch some of those videos about close calls and, and people narrowly missing certain death. And you think, wow, that's still not as great as the day a sinner comes and says, Lord, I need you as a Savior. And on their knees, they come to that cross and they trust Him and they believe in Him and they call upon His names, His name and for, they receive forgiveness of sins and they have a new life in Him and there's a new creature and there's a home in heaven and there's eternal life waiting and they get off their knees and stand as a saint of God. Is that not great? Why would we neglect that? But I tell you, when we let the things slip that we hear from the Word of God, when we let them pass by, we're neglecting. 
like some little old 1980 Pontiac sunbird sitting in the Pacific Northwest rain and sun. To the point of one day, there's a realization of, let's just sell it to the junkyard. This is eventually what happened to that little car. Somebody came, the flatbed, loaded it up, and hauled it away for scrap. Believer, you know, we're, we're, we're called to righteousness over and over again through Scripture. We find that that's what our Savior loved. And this is to both believers and unbelievers. As, a, as, a, as, a, as an unbeliever, we can't neglect that salvation. As a believer, we can't either. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, don't neglect it. You've now heard the testimony and the witness of what God has said, and it is true. He will give you eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And every person here that has trusted Christ as their Savior would raise their hand and say, I affirm that testimony to be true. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. Our time here on earth is short. Believer, don't neglect it. Many of us have been saved for a few years. Look, again, if you've only been saved for maybe a year, guess what? You've still probably heard at least, at least 50-something sermons. Don't neglect what is being said. Don't neglect it in your life. The end result is it will cause an immaturity, a lack of growth, and a struggle. You want to find that gladness that can only be found in our Savior? Love the righteousness and hate the iniquity. Don't let that ever slip. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time, and I thank you again for what you've given to us from your word. And Lord, I pray that as we think on these things this morning and as we meditate upon them, that Lord, we would realize the, the, the grave necessity of giving more earnest heed to what we've heard and even what we will hear. That Lord, we would purpose to maintain a Christian life that pleases you and honors you. Lord, we would give great attention to detail and diligence to every piece of Scripture and the impact it has in our life. That, Lord, we would never forget that the sin, it too, also has that impact. And, Lord, you hate that sin. May we hate it also. But love that righteousness that you speak of in your word. I thank you again for all that you've done for us this morning. And I pray, Lord, you just continue to work in our hearts. And these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.